Blog Talk Radio. Well, good afternoon, everyone. This is Stuart Crawford. And hi, Ben. Welcome to this IT Radio. With Eric, and we're going to be talking about success uh, in uncertain economic times today. And uh, again, this is a special broadcast of our normal small business IT radio that happens every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 o'clock on the West Coast on Blog Talk Radio. So since this is a special show, we're uh, not going to waste any time uh, with formalities and and housekeeping stuff. We're going to right into the meat and potatoes of our show. We've got a number of people dialed in on the lines listening, listening to us on the phone lines and a number of people listening to us on the web. I've opened up the chat session. Uh, you'll notice on your dashboard there is a chat window, or if you're on the blogtalkradio.com slash SMB site, you'll notice there's a chat session. You can click on there. If you have a question to ask Eric, just identify yourself on there. We'll get you uh, plugged in and uh, and on talking to uh, talking to Eric. So Eric and I were in Washington, D.C. in early June, and Eric was the keynote speaker on the last day of the ICCA conference, and he presented the, a presentation on success in uncertain economic times and what to do in today's, uh, I'd say, somewhat turbulent economy, depending on where you live. Again, here in Alberta, we're we're doing pretty good, and some other parts of the country and the continent and the world are, uh, you know, some a little bit up, a little bit down. So uh, it's definitely turbulent. I wouldn't say you know it's downright bad, but uh, definitely a little uncertainty there. So uh, good afternoon, Eric, and how are the, how are things in the West Coast today? Good, Stuart. I, uh, as you know, we we had a, a little bit of a a tremor. Uh, a couple of days ago, I was in uh, Redmond, Washington, at the Microsoft uh, Software Plus Services airlift, and uh, I saw on CNN where there was a reported 5.8 uh, on the Richter scale earthquake in uh, centered uh, about 30 miles from my house. So I was a little concerned. Knocked out the phone service uh, at our offices and uh, cell phones and at home, but uh, came back up pretty quickly and. We didn't have any real damage, uh, just uh, just a wake-up call. It's kind of like a speeding ticket. You know, you don't have one for a while, and all, all of a sudden you get popped, and you go, oh, okay, that's right, there's uh, there's radar guns out there. So, yeah, cause you guys haven't had one for a while on the West Coast, haven't you? Yeah, it's been, uh, I guess the last one was 94, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So when we were in Washington back, oh, it seems like forever ago, it was only really about a, a couple months now, you would deliver this keynote on success in uncertain economic times and, and what uh, IT professionals and MSPs and small business specialists and general Microsoft partners need to do uh, right now to, you know, I wouldn't say even prepare. You know, how do we, now we're definitely in a, you know, how do we react if we haven't even been paying attention to it. Uh, you know, going forward here, Eric, I mean, you're a big, strong advocator of uh, a managed services, your company uh, managed service, or MSP University. MSPU.us, I do believe the website is, has been helping IT professionals and MSPs and IT uh, partners for a long time uh, with uh, managed services. But for those people who may not know about MSPU and yourself, give us a little a brief history about uh, where your journey started where you, and where you got to today. Oh, sure, Stuart. So um, we're an 11-year-old bar in Southern California uh, delivering solutions to small and medium businesses uh, since 1997 and uh, our competencies were uh, information worker uh, infrastructure and advanced infrastructure solutions and we were partnered up with all the right uh, partners uh, 
you know, in addition to Microsoft, Cisco, Citrix, um, HP, Intel, you name it. And around about uh, 2004 timeframe, we started to really look more carefully at uh, profitability and efficiency and utilization in our internal staff. And we're looking for ways to obviously improve all of those. And started looking at remote monitoring and management solutions. And so uh, around about uh, January of 2005, we had made our decision that we were going to start delivering services uh, remotely from our NOC, our help desk here at our offices, and <clears throat> do as much remote uh, management and maintenance of client environments as possible. So we invested in a remote monitoring and management solution as well as a PSA solution to manage our help desk and trouble ticketing um, duties. And my background before uh, in another lifetime was building call centers and help desks for Fortune 1000 organizations. So I have a pretty good uh, grounding in ITIL-based problem management resolution. So I said, we can do this. We can certainly bring this enterprise-level type of support to the SMB and improve our efficiencies and profitability. So during the course of 2005, we trans transitioned uh, our A and B clients over to our proactive managed services program uh, after you know, getting our noses bloody a little bit, trying to figure out how to price and position, uh, finally determining the secret sauce uh, to sell on value and enabling us to sell uh, $2.4 million worth of managed service agreements in the span of 18 months once we figured it out. So we didn't worry about our C customers uh, because they were mostly focused on price and didn't have a lot of loyalty to us. So what we did was we marketed heavily for new A-client a client customers, and as we were bringing them aboard and uh, we could replace the revenue that we would lose by uh, releasing these C customers back to the wild, that's exactly what we did. So in a period of about nine or ten months, we had a completely uh, proactive managed services client base that were on long-term annuity-based service agreements uh, where we would invoice every month uh, up front, one line item, you know, uh, proactive maintenance services for the month of August, for instance, and uh, reduced our invoice haggling, improved our efficiencies, reduced our drive time, and increased customer satisfaction because we were able to address issues much more quickly uh, from a remote perspective and only went on site when we had to when there was a physical hardware failure. Uh, and then we learned how to become the trusted advisor and to swap the time that we would spend on site putting out fires with time we would spend with the sea level uh, business owners, identifying their needs and pain points and developing solutions and delivering more products and services deep into their environments and, and showing additional value that way. So uh, having that success put us on a couple of folks' radar, and we were then uh, asked to share our knowledge and help individual IT solution providers as well as uh, manufacturers, vendors, and distributors in developing training programs for their channels. And so uh, fast forward to today, uh, we have an online university that helps us scale our services with hundreds of webinars, courses, forms, tools, and collateral at uh, mspu.us, as you mentioned. And we also do one-on-one uh, -on -one consulting with clients. Uh, we do SWOT analysis. We do a lot of boot camps and workshops. And we also work with uh, Fortune 50 uh, uh, manufacturers, vendors, and distributors uh, in our space uh, in helping them understand the needs of their channel and, and put together uh, good training and support programs to help them become more successful and in turn sell more of 
that particular client's products or services. So you've had a great run, uh, Eric, up until now, and, and, and the momentum still carrying you guys forward. You know, we are starting to see a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, the part of the pun, but trembling in the uh, in the in the economy. Uh, I couldn't resist uh, that one there. Uh, but you know, um, what are you guys seeing in the overall MSP or Microsoft partner, Cisco partner uh, today, maybe versus what uh, they were doing like 12 months ago when it comes to you know success with clients, um, go-to-market strategies, and gen- general you know business you know bottom line revenue and top line revenue. Are they making more money, or are they or are they suffering uh, as a you know across the nation? I think um, yeah, that's. Uh that's a pretty wide uh, spectrum uh, of clients to talk about, and what what we see working with you know thousands of partners all over the world, um, it, it really depends on. I don't know how to put this delicately or politically correctly. Um, it, it really depends on the partner's business acumen and the relationships that they've built, I believe, with their uh, client base. So. What I mean to say is, you know, the industry changes, and there's movement that can be made uh, positively or negatively by uh, service providers identifying what the trends are and trying to determine where they should position themselves for success in the future. And, you know, there's a, a certain segment of, of that service provider market that that really is is – I think rooted more in a comfort level or lifestyle type of a mindset and they like doing what they do the way they do it and you know the industry can move one way or another uh they really you know aren't going to react to that and if they haven't built very close strong business relationships with their clients uh and become that trusted advisor then I think that puts them in a in a vulnerable position because as new technologies come forth and new ways of delivering service come forth, if they don't adopt those and bring them to their clients, then I, I really feel that someone else will. Because at the end of the day, the business owner is who we're, we are uh, working for, and it's their needs that we're trying to address. And if we are not bringing them solutions to continue to improve their efficiencies and productivity and mitigate their business pain and risk uh, and build or help them increase their net profits, then we're not really a good business partner, right? Because our responsibility as that trusted advisor is someone that they can trust to help guide them through difficult technology decisions. And, you know, when we transitioned over to delivering managed services, you know, once we figured out what we were doing, uh, quote-unquote, we really started to look at the type of client we were marketing to. And we wanted to make certain that we were addressing prospects that were either technology strategic, which means to us that they see uh, IT costs as strategic investments that help them uh, become more competitive in their markets, right? Or technology dependent. These folks may not be quite as strategic in their technology uh, purchase decisions, but they are so dependent on their technology that they realize they have to continue to invest in technology. Everybody else, we really didn't bring on. We were just very focused on, you know, a set standard of service delivery and and uh, who best that type of service delivery would 
would um, address in terms of business growth and need. And then on top of that, then we would layer on additional solutions and services as we really got into spending more time with those smaller number of strategic and dependent clients and really understanding how we could leverage technology and resources to help them achieve their business goals. So, Eric, you know, I'm in, you, you, met, you hit on some real key areas there that I see, that, and some of them are very, you know, very passionate that I try to uh, follow. And you know, in my own experiences, I'm seeing that every day. I'm, uh, I had a meeting with a guy this morning, a small little CPA firm, who said, oh, right now our official kickoff meeting was, I need somebody here to take ownership of this or, or be accountable for our network being up and running and, our, and taking proactive measures, informing us of when we need to make technology moves that you know, impact our business. And that, with that comes understanding what, you know, what a CPA firm does. Uh, you mentioned business acumen in the beginning mm-hmm. and uh, the importance of you know, understanding business. You would think that since many of us are in business for ourselves or you know run IT, run successful IT companies, that we would have that core business acumen. That, is that the reality of the of, of what's out there, or is that just you know something that we we should have and we're quite not there yet, or not quite there yet? So so that brings us back to the initial uh, question you posed, and, and it's about all these different type of service groups, right? So I think you know in my mind when I look at uh, service provider groups, I look at basically three three buckets. I look at uh, a, re- a reseller or reactive break service provider making up the you know the probably the least. Uh, not to say that you can't be very profitable uh, as a reactive break fix service service provider. I mean we were very profitable and we worked with and we continue to work with uh, many partners who have a component of reactive break fix in their business model as, uh, along with trying to migrate over to managed services. It can be very profitable, but I think the profit potential uh, increases exponentially uh, when you are proactive and more focused on service delivery than reactive transaction-based um, project outcomes. So you've got the reactive reseller. Then the next uh, level up is the professional service provider. This is professional services. Uh, delivering solutions and projects, uh, very uh, project outcome focused, right? And, uh, you know, very good at maintaining profitability. They understand how to scope a uh, work plan, how to create a project plan, how to create a, a, uh, uh, a change management process so that, you know, they can set expectations and reset expectations with their clients in order to meet their uh, deliverables requirements. So very process-oriented, very process-focused, uh, and m- more profitable than the reactive or break-fix service provider potentially. Then the third group I see are the, you know, the trusted advisors, proactive service delivery group, and this includes managed service providers, and they have the, the maximum profit potential of any of the three prior groups, um, simply because you can leverage tools and technology much more effectively to deliver services uh, uh, much more broadly to a wider range of clients concurrently. So the things that uh, we used to do from a manual perspective uh, before we implemented our RMM solution uh, were like uh, things like remoting in and making sure backups ran. I mean, hours, I can remember. That's the, the time that our technicians spent the most time doing, remotely checking backups. I mean, patching and updating, optimizing 
discs, uh, you know, and then reacting to situations uh, when if if we had had some proactive alerting, we could have identified situations before they become became work stopping outages and taken measures to keep that client uh, efficient and up. Because as as we bring on and accept more responsibility uh, as a managed service provider in providing services for a flat fee to a broad base of clients, um, we really now have to be on our game because we share in the risk, right? And we are profitable when our clients are profitable and we are less profitable when our clients are less profitable. What I mean by that is, as a reactive break-fix service provider, for instance, if, uh, if we have a server outage and it takes us four or six hours to breathe life back into a dead server and recover it, we really have no risk in that, in that engagement. Uh, the client bears all the risk in terms of having to pay us the time that it took us to recover that server. So if our hourly rate is, you know, $150 an hour and it's six hours, well, they're going to pay us, you know, $900 for that day, and they bear that risk. Well, fast forward to the managed service provider flat fee scenario. If it takes us six hours to recover that server, not only is the client in pain, but we are losing money as well, right? So in the old model, we were most profitable when our clients were in the most pain, because reactive emergency services always are more expensive than proactive maintenance services, always. In the new reality, right, we are most profitable when our clients are in the least pain. So if we do a great job of managing and maintaining their environments proactively and patching and updating, it, it's logical to assume that the clients will uh, receive increased uptime and efficiency. Right? Plus, we're also looking at trends. So before, we have no visibility when <clears throat> disk uh, space is filling up or CPU utilization is spiking over an extended period of time on servers and other critical equipment. Now we have reporting that we're going over, and we can trend and identify issues before they become problems. So the conversation turns from one that sounds like, uh, Mr. Client, Mrs. Client, yes, your Exchange server is down. The information store dismounted because, oops, we ran out of disk space on the drive. And, uh, you know, we really need to get bigger drives, and it's going to cost you $1,500 today, right, as opposed to, Mr. and Mrs. Client, you know, we've been trending disk space utilization on your Exchange server the last two months, and you're consuming disk space at this rate. I think we're okay for the next... 30 or 45 days, but I want you to start thinking about budgeting for new drives on this date, and it'll be about $700. That's a conversation that is much more palatable and easy, easier to consume by clients and shows your forward thinking instead of reacting to a down situation that costs them twice as much to address. So I think there's a lot of benefit in each of those um, in, in migrating up to, to the proactive service delivery model. And when I look at breaking down each of those three components of service provider, I look at three subcomponents within each, each one. And I look at a maintain perspective, which means, hey, uh, I like what I'm doing right now. I'm profitable at it. I, I can take on as much work as, as I can handle 
and I really don't feel like growing today. Then there's the uh, maximize perspective, right? And the maximize uh, thought process says, well, you know, I like what I'm doing right now. I don't know if I want to grow yet, but what I want to do is I want to maximize my efficiencies, productivity, and profitability so that, you know, I can be prepared to grow. And then there's the migrate strategy. So if I'm a break, fix, reactive service provider, my migrate, uh, you know, strategy is, you know, I've been doing break, fix stuff. I want to start doing project-based solutions. I want to start, uh, you know, becoming a little more specialized and having a little more specific specialty in certain areas so that I can now really become a, uh, an expert in whatever that solution is, whether it be information worker or infrastructure or whatever. I'm, I'm no more a general practitioner, but I want to start focusing on specializing in specific solutions for a vertical market. Uh, so that's the maintain, maximize, and migrate. And that's true for each one of those types of service providers. So a professional service provider can do the same thing. He can maintain or maximize what they're doing or migrate up to more of a service delivery heavy uh, offering. So that Eric, on, you know, on that whole topic there about, you know, especially when ec- the economy is in a little turmoil, how important is it uh, specializing in niches as well? Because you talk about, you know, being in, in the focus like differential worker or something like that. Mm-hmm. But should uh, MFPs be looking at, you know, finding special niches, like maybe at energy companies or transportation or, you know, whatever uh, fits their uh, core service model? Well, we always recommend uh, verticalizing your focus. And I know up where you are, Stuart, I mean, the oil and gas industry is, is just huge for you guys, right? Absolutely, so, I mean, yeah. So that's, that's a, uh, a vertical market and an industry that you've learned to specialize in and exploit to your benefit while providing excellent service for your clients. And I think what specialization in a vertical industry uh, does for partners is, is it, it does two things. I think, you know, we talked a little bit about business acumen uh, earlier. I think that when a service provider uh, identifies that they want to now specialize in a vertical market or a, a vertical industry, uh, that is, I think, a, a very specific indicator of a change in their business acumen because what normally happens in these smaller providers, and we all started off this way, is you know, we love word-of-mouth referrals, right? They're the easiest opportunities to close. But the danger in a word-of-mouth referral is it takes you across so many verticals that you seldom have time to capitalize on what you've learned in dealing with one specific verticals, pain points, line of business applications, workflows and process before you get drug into another vertical by a referral. What we propose is, hey, identify you know, vertical markets and industries if it's feasible in your geographic territory. I know it's not possible in all geos because we work with a lot, a lot of partners and understand those dynamics. But if you can, what you can do then is you can create very specific, compelling marketing messaging to other prospects in that same vertical. So let's say, for instance, we'll take uh, one of your verticals, the oil and gas. You understand very clearly, Stuart, what the pain points are for these clients and you have clients in that vertical already. So what you can do is you can create a very compelling piece of marketing that identifies the pain points directly to that uh, list of prospects in that vertical, their pain points, 
identify how you've relieved those pain points for some of your clients, and you can throw in a couple of testimonials from clients in that vertical. And that's a very compelling piece of marketing. And then a call to action so that you can now get in the door, and it doesn't take you a long time to ramp up to understand how that business operates. Of course, each business has its you know, uh, different special uh, uh, differences and special sauce of, of how they they do things, but for the most part, you can walk in and know what you're getting into, right? Then it's basic needs analysis 101, create the proposal, uh, bring the environment up to a basic certified network standard, and begin delivering services. Or you get in uh, for a specific solution that you've marketed to that vertical, kick the door in with a specific solution that addresses a pain point, then have that discussion about delivering services over a long period of time. Yeah, that, and it makes a lot of sense, Eric. So again, I guess the million-dollar question right now, and you know, I'm, I'm reviewing your slide deck from the Washington presentation. You know, are we now into uh, a recession, or are we still kind of in that uncertainty right now? You know, that's. Uh, <clears throat> you know, if I had to go by the technical definition of a recession, and you know, thank our friend, uh, our good friend Carl Palachek for keeping me on point on this. Uh, we can't claim that we are in a recession because the the definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of, ne- of negative economic uh, GDP growth. And, you know, 0.9% uh, growth is still a positive growth. So, you know, we can quibble over those numbers. But since that deck, I've done some more research, and I've come up with uh, some more interesting facts. And it's not really um, – I think what we should be looking at is not if we as service providers think we are in a recession, but more importantly – do our prospects and clients believe we are heading toward a recession or we're in an economic downturn? Because it's that uh, perception in their mind which causes them to begin tightening their belts, putting projects on hold, and trying to slow pay vendors because they want to conserve as much cash on hand as possible. So I think that's really the million-dollar question is, is what are customers out there thinking? And I came up with some really interesting results. I think that, um, and I wish I had that slide deck up in front of me, so I'm just going to try to quote uh, from from memory. But I think it was uh, 24% believes that we are in a recession, and 24% believes we're heading into a recession. And then the balance, uh, minus 10%, thought we were in an economic downturn. So that kind of gives you... You know, 90%, uh, and this was a survey done by one of the um, uh, big um, uh, think tank uh, organizations, and I can't, can't remember who it was to, to credit it to. I apologize. But, you know, if 90% of our end customers think that, you know, we're in worse shape than we were 12 months ago, 18 months ago, then we should not turn a blind eye to that statistic. And we should start identifying services and solutions that are more appealing to end customers in these times of economic uncertainty. And these are services that basically will provide them um, reduced costs in some, in some way, shape, or form, or allow them to predict cost moving forward, right? Or allow them to increase efficiency and profitability, right? Because I think just like the discussion we had earlier about the different types of service providers that, that I see that we work with, and those three subcomponents of maintain, maximize, or migrate, I think we can apply those same principles to end customers, right? Are they in a maintain mode? 
Are they in a maximize mode? Are they in a migratory mode, which are they trying to change their business model a little bit internally to meet their clients' needs, right? So if we can understand where they are and how they feel about the economy, then I think we can more uh, intelligently identify uh, services and solutions that, that we can bring forth that are appealing to them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if if we're experiencing an economic downturn, I'm definitely, I'm sure our clients are uh, are feeling the pinch maybe even more, and it's just, a, you know, it's rolling downhill. And, of course, we're, uh, you know, our pe- from there, our people that we do business with, our vendors are going to, of course, be in, in, impacted by it as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, you know everything's going up, Eric. You know you see the price of fuel here in uh, in Alberta, it where we where the stuff flows naturally out of the ground. It's you know a buck uh, twenty eight per liter. That equates to about six dollars a gallon hmm. in the U.S. I know you guys in Southern California have got some pretty high fuel costs. That all impacts the bottom line to where you know how we do business. Mm-hmm. So it can, again, if our clients are thinking about maximizing our efficiency, uh, their efficiencies, we have to think about the same. And you touched touch on something about you know not rolling trucks, doing things remotely. Uh, during these uh, you know uncertain economic times, and of course, if when the, the economy kind of stabilizes and recovers, some best practices that we could take forward. What are you telling your clients today besides you know the the obvious things around MS uh, with managed service providers uh, roll out? Are you, what are you advising them on uh, to uh, maximize efficiencies and about also maintain a positive business growth? So I think there's there's some uh, I think there's some lessons that that all service provider groups uh, can benefit from, and you know, just, it's so funny how you you know we talk about how to uh, help our clients improve their business efficiencies and productivity and profits and things like that. You know, when we talk about that, it's it's almost a mirror that we hold up to our that our service provider partners and, and members, and, and we say to them, look, just as you're looking for ways to reduce costs, improve efficiency and productivity and net profits for your end customers, I mean, that's what attracts uh, them to you and your services and the promise that you can help them uh, run their businesses better. We need to hold the mirror up and say, look, those, those three or four things uh, are, are truths that we need to abide by ourselves as well. What can we do to reduce costs, improve efficiency and productivity, and increase net profits, right? I mean, it's, it's so, you know, it's like a mirror that we hold up to each other. And, and that's why I say when we find the right clients, I mean, it's really a business partnership. I mean, you begin feeding off of each other, and then the clients that, you know, are, are the most uh, close to us in terms of a relationship you know, are looking for you to come with, to them with, with solutions. And they, they understand that they're investing in technology to achieve those, those things because not only are they selfishly looking at the benefits for themselves, but they also feel a responsibility to make sure that we as their service provider, business partner, are profitable as well. So those are really good, um, good relationships to have. Um, so as far as specifics on what service providers can do, I think you know one of the one of the first questions I ask when I have a live presentation is is I ask uh, the attendees to to hold up their hands if they've raised their rates in the last year because I don't think that we should stop raising our rates to address uh, inflation and the cost of gas and things like that 
because of a situation where there's an economic downturn. Now, I do think that if we try to raise our rates too much, we could get pushback, right? But I'd like to tell a story about one of our um, partners that we consult with and how they have clients that they've had for 10 years and have not raised their rates for those clients. And they're billing those clients $60 an hour, right? Wow, $60 an hour. $60 an hour. And I say to them, I say, look, if you raised your rates 5%, right, a 5% increase on $60 is $3, right? You're not going to lose any clients. So for 10 years, you raise your rates 5%. You'll never lose a client, right? But you're raising your rates $40 an hour, right? So now today, they'd be at $90 an hour, close to their 125 normal rate. Not there yet, but at least they're not, they don't have this gap. But if you try to raise your rates to a client by $40 an hour, you bet you might have some problems keeping that client, right? So the first thing I say is, look, think about a strategy where you're going to raise your rates consistently 5% a year. And then our sample managed service agreements, which any attendee on today's call can, can download from our website just by registering, um, we have a provision in there that allows you to write a long-term agreement. I'm talking three years or more, and it auto-renews. But there's a clause in there that allows us to raise our rates you know, every 12 months and it says not to exceed a certain percent. So we can say, hey, not to exceed 5%. I think the, the, uh, the comfort zone is 5 to 8%. You won't get too much pushback. So first thing, you know, make sure that yearly you raise your rates because that's the only thing that we have in these long-term relationships that protects us from you know, situations like today or you know, a scenario like uh, the partner that I just told you about. Maybe they have a long-term agreement that didn't include a provision to raise their rates, but I, I think they're just trying to be good guys and don't realize that, you know, wow, every time you even take a phone call from that client, you're losing money, right? Well, I had a conversation with Robert Cohen this morning uh, through our IAMCP uh, conference call that we had, and um, he was talking about the same thing, and, you know, one of the, the comments was, and sometimes us as IT professionals, we do not value our time. Uh, we don't think we're worth more than, say, 60 bucks an hour. And then yeah. you think nobody would pay that fee. Well, I, I mean, I, I could be you know, very transparent here with my offering. We, we charge sometimes as high as $150 an hour and get no, no pushback from our clients on, on that rate because it's all about how you see yourself and the value that you bring to your, to your clients, Eric. And is that what you're finding with a, a number of uh, partners that they maybe just don't see the value in their own time? I think that's part of it. I think uh, I'll share another story with you. And, and, but, but to answer that question directly, you know, one of the challenges that uh, I think all service providers go through when they're transitioning to this trusted advisor model, the managed services uh, delivery model, and we went through it as well, is trying to predict with a crystal ball what we think our clients will pay for our services. Well, do you think that quote's too high? <laughs> you know, uh, thank goodness we got past that. And, and you know, that is something that... You're right, and in, in our first book, I talk about you know that that internal perception, right? You're, if you're a service provider and you think that you are a reactive firefighter and that's what you love doing, and you don't see yourself as being able to transition to a trusted advisor, well, guess what? Your internal perception is your outward reality, because it, it reflects itself in how you deal with your clients. If you can't transition into that trusted advisor persona, that outsourced CIO, that business partner role, and, you know, you just have a, a tendency to just want to crawl under the desk, 
then that's how you will be perceived by your clients. So, you know, there's there's that scenario. So that also can impede, you know, your perception of what your services are worth. And so the story I want to share with you was back when we were still delivering services, we had a, a long, long-term a client, a CPA client of ours for, you know, 10 years. And he shared with me during one of our, you know, C-level to C-level discussions in his office, because that's the really nice thing about when you do become the trusted advisor, when you go and meet with your client, it's at a completely different level. And you're talking about business strategies, and you know, you, you're just taking that relationship to a new level and understanding what their their hopes and dreams are, and you share what your hopes and dreams are yourself. So you really build that close relationship. And this uh, particular client shared with me. He said, "I said, what's your ultimate, what's your ultimate goal, Scott?" And he says, "My ultimate goal is to be the highest paid CPA firm in Orange County." And, you know, I, I just kind of sat back and I said, wow, that's a pretty lofty goal. And he says, well, you know, and I said, well, how are you going to achieve that? He says, well, you know what, every year it's kind of like how we borrowed our, our uh, methodology of, of, of uh, shedding C customers. He said, every year I take my top two-thirds clients and I take my bottom one-third and I sell off the bottom third. And he had he was uh, renting space out in this building with other CPAs. Uh, he owned uh, the suite, uh, the offices he was in. He was subletting, and so he would sell off the bottom third. He says, then I raise my rates. And he says, you know what? He goes, the clients I want to keep never leave. And I said, wow, that is profound, right? And he had the the uh, confidence in himself and his services to be able to say that. And I'm sure he said it to, you know, any of his clients that would want to listen. And I think that that's that, that confidence and that internal awareness and image that we have to project. You know, it's, it's like, you know what, this is what our services are worth, and this is the value, and we sell on value. And we have to go in confident to prospects and clients with that persona. And While you're I, on that topic, Eric, maybe interject one thing here. Mm -hmm. Do you find that uh, that IT professionals, MSPs, have a hard time firing clients and Absolutely. hold on to a lot and hold on to a lot of them, and then you mm -hmm. know that attention goes to what the squeaky wheel? Another key point in in our first book is that sense of risk, that sense of loss when transitioning. Right, I'm going into uncharted territory, and I'm going to flat fee my services. And Eric says in the book that I'm going to be firing some clients and I'm going to be losing some of my staff. Oh, no. You know, that I, I, you know that's that comfort level, you know. And, you know, i, I got to tell you, Stuart, because I had that same challenge internally. I said, boy, we've got all of these clients. I wrote a recent blog post about squeezing your pyramid of clients, and it talks about having clients in three sections of a pyramid and having your, most of your clients in the bottom third. And these are the, the clients that pay you a little bit of money every month or every quarter. Then you have the middle third of the pyramid has less clients, but uh, they pay you more. And then the top third of the pyramid is the smallest piece, and it's got your highest paying clients. And my theory was if you could squeeze that pyramid so that it's thinner and squeeze out the bottom third, and all you have left is two halves of the pyramid with A and B clients that are paying you more money than you had before, not only are you more profitable, but I don't know if you've noticed, 80% of all the problems that were ever generated uh, between our, cl our clients and ourselves were, were generated by the clients that paid us the least money and we had the worst relationships with. 
Right? I, I see that all the time. Our A and B clients really want to work with us to help improve the relationship and the service, and so take a completely different uh, position when there's a challenge, and, and allow us the ability to make it right. Right? And where so does all, but where does all our where does all the attention go normally? Right? It goes to the bottom of the pyramid. It goes to the noise. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So back to some some uh, some strategies for for service. Partners, we talked about raising rates, right? Mm -hmm. um, another one, and I know you're reading off my deck as I am, increase efficiencies in utilization by investing in tools and technology. Even if you're not, you know, fully drinking the managed service provider Kool-Aid yet, you just say, well, you know, I like what I'm doing. I'm kind of in a maintain, maybe a maximize mode in my particular uh, service model. You can still invest in these RMM tools, to improve your efficiencies and take care of that day-to-day, -day, you know, mundane checking for tape backups, uh, applying service packs and patches and updates, and um, you know, optimizing disk space, things like that, that that you're, you know, now have to manually check or risk missing something and then have to react and become a firefighter, right? So, like I say, there's there's a lot of tools and technology out there that, and now. It's completely different from when we were transitioning in 2005. There were no pay-as-you-go offerings for us. I mean, we we invested very, very heavily, and I mean heavily, in these tools. And boy, that lit a fire under us to go out and sell, right? So, so again, take advantage of these pay-as-you-go uh, tools. And if you don't deliver specific solutions or services that you know your clients need. I'd say partner with other partners or vendors to get that done. This is a very uh, powerful concept that we discovered uh, when we were transitioning because once we had all of our tools and technology invested in and our processes and procedures tweaked and tuned and we were humming along, you know, we felt our responsibility was to continue to tweak and tune our processes to improve our efficiencies and profitability. And then we started looking at the money that we were leaving on the table by just referring business to other vendors, such as T1 business and web development business and, and you know, you name it. I mean, we were referring all kinds of work to everybody, and, and from our perspective, we referred out a lot more work than we ever got referred back to us from these other vendors. So we decided then to build strong strategic partnerships with key vendors and partners as well to deliver services that we didn't deliver to our existing client base. So we came up with this uh, tool. It's called the uh, Client Solution Roadmap, and you might recall it from, from that first book, Stuart. And it's just an mm -hmm. Excel spreadsheet where we put all our clients down the left side, and across the top, we put every single product, service, or solution our clients would ever need to purchase to run their business. And then we put a red dot. So the, short, the nickname for the, for the chart was red dot green dot form. Because we mm -hmm. put a red dot if they didn't have it, and they put a green dot if they did. And quickly we would identify the service that we would go out and partner with a partner or vendor to deliver. And we tried really, really hard to make certain that there was an annuity-based commission structure to that service. So if we had two like vendors and one was, a, you know, here's your one-time commission, thank you very much, and another one was, hey, here's your one-time commission, and you'll get a small annuity every month, then we chose that vendor. And that's why today, after not delivering service to 
clients for you know uh, for for certain since December of 2007. We're still receiving annuity checks of thousands of dollars a month for T1 lines and things we installed you know years ago, and that will continue as long as the client keeps paying that bill. So. Just identifying, you know, great ones are hosted voice over IP. I mean, hosting, co-location services. Boy, you know, those checks just keep on coming because we set the initial uh, service up and we were the uh, partner of record for it, and that's the way it goes. So look to partnering and look to annuity-based commission structures if you can find them. So, Eric, you mentioned when we were talking about, you know, determining your niche or area of specialization, you know, creating – uh, industry-specific marketing strategies to go after, you know, your niche or your vertical market. Mm-hmm. How important is having the right marketing message going to be uh, in today's world, especially now that you know the Dow's up 300 one day, down 400 the next, and dollars fluctuating like a like a seagull flying out the, off the off the coast? You know, <laughs> uh, what you know, what how important is marketing going to be going forward here? Well, I think uh, I think in in when you want to grow your business, no matter what the economic climate is, you've got to invest in marketing. I mean, it is a consistent process that's going to always yield results. Now, how well you configure or develop your message, and how attractive and appealing your marketing collateral is, definitely have an impact. Uh, the how how effective the marketing list that you buy is probably the number one factor on the success of your marketing campaign. So, you know, in our second book, I talk about, you know, procuring the marketing list and going through all the collateral. So there's a lot of components there. You've got to have the the right marketing list. You've got to have the right message. You've got to have an appealing uh, delivery mechanism, whether that's a postcard, a line card, email, newsletters, et cetera, right? And then you have to create a specific, consistent delivery system, a campaign. And so what you do is you create, let's say you're going to, let's say that your goal is to, uh, you know, and I'll just, uh, you know, be selfish for a minute and say we're going to sign up five new managed services clients uh, this quarter. That's our goal, right? So basically we know uh, that if we're, you know, half good, we can probably close 50% of the appointments we sit on. You know, our our uh, close ratio was more like 90%, but let's just go with 50. So that means that we're going to have to physically provide 10 quotes to prospects in order to close 50% to get our goal, right? Mm-hmm. So how, what does it take to sit down and provide quotes? Let's say we have to sit down in front of 15 to deliver 10 proposals and then close five, right? So yep. the key number that we have to identify is what does it take for us to sit down in front of 15 prospects, okay? So we can backward plan that and say, okay, here's what we're going to try. We're going to try to send out 100 postcards, 100 direct mail letters, follow up with call downs, and see if we can secure 15 appointments. So let's say that that formula works. Let's say we're able to sit down in front of 15 people with 100 or a list of a very finite qualified list of 100 prospects. We go ahead and we do that and we now have a formula, right? So the next quarter we say, okay, let's see if we can duplicate that, that success. Can we, can we sell another five? So what do we do? We do the same process, and we mix in postcards with direct mail, maybe with some email and some call downs, and we sit down, and we close the same amount. Now we have 
a formula that's tried and true and is repeatable. So the next quarter, if we want to increase the goal and say we want to sell 10 managed service agreements this quarter, all we need to do is double the marketing effort, 200 letters, 200 postcards, 200 call-downs, right? Sit down with 30 prospects. And so now we have a consistent, repeatable marketing process. So in times of economic uncertainty, I believe we need to increase our marketing effort, right? Because our message is so powerful, especially as an MSP. You are now able to budget for and predict your IT costs over time. Because remember, when folks are small and medium business owners are tightening their belts, uh, they're looking for ways to offload labor-intensive services internally. So this includes HR, payroll, and internal IT. And we always like to say that the sweet spot and the most profitable uh, uh, spot in terms of users' environments is 25 to 100 users. I think that that's a very profitable segment of uh, potential prospect environments. So when we go out and we find our list broker and are, are selecting the criteria for our list, we're going to make sure that we say we want environments with between 25 and 100 users or desktops because that's the maximum profitability. Below that, we start falling into those customers that are more price conscious, right, and are going to you know, be more concerned with price. And above that, we're going to run into environments where there's an internal IT staff. And so now we have a unique situation where we need to overcome uh, the perception that we are a threat to them. You know, and there are sales techniques and, and relationship techniques that we can utilize to, to focus on that, but it takes another level of, of business and sales acumen to really address those types of scenarios. So I like 25 to 100, and in our um, experience and history, uh, 25 user network with a couple of servers, you know, our average billing was three to 4,000 a month. So stack 10 or 20 of those up, and you've got a pretty good annuity baseline, uh, especially when you understand that you're focused on delivering services remotely 85% of the time. And most of the heavy lifting is done by your tools and technology through automated scripts and things like that. And I mean, for those that know me well, marketing is uh, very key to uh, our success of our company. And uh, we still, even though we're still very fortunate to be in in a good economy here, we're still getting three or four good quality leads uh, every week, Eric. And you know, one of the things I'm also finding too is that now they're getting to be more the larger S of the SMB and small M, you know, for mid-market in the mid-market. We're getting some of those 50 to 100 seats now, which, in all reality, it's a longer, a little bit of a longer sales cycle, but the rewards are much more plentiful at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that you'll find uh, when you're pushing up into that upper tier of 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 that uh, user. Uh, environment, you'll find that um, prospects, clients, tend to be more strategic about their IT investments. That's right. That's what we're finding. So, Eric, we got about nine minutes, eight minutes left in the in our lot of time here. What are some of the things that you're uh, you may be seeing going forward here? Things we need to keep our eye on. Uh, what you know, maybe what some of your final thoughts would be. Uh, you know, in the last bit of the program here. Sure. So. Um, a couple more things to think about uh, for the attendees on the call is, you know, try to differentiate yourself from your competition by d- 
delivering more uh, service-based uh, deliverables than commodity-based services, right? So, I mean, I, I really can't stress enough how much closer of a relationship you'll be able to build with your clients uh, the more service-related deliverables you provide to them. Because let's face it, uh, hardware and software licensing is such a commodity. Um, you know, that's that reseller kind of break-fix um, you know, where we start selling boxes and things like that. And we, we, we quickly migrate over to understanding that, hey, you know, that's basically a product or transaction-based focus. It uh, doesn't build a lot of loyalty with our clients, right? So the more service-oriented we are and the more impactful we are to our, to our customers' environments, um, the greater benefit uh, they will derive from our relationship and really uh, value uh, what we say and do, in our, and we'll shorten sales cycles and, and, and give you the opportunity if, you know, you make a mistake here or there to, to write that. Um, I think you've got to really target the right clients and verticals. We talked about technology-strategic and technology-dependent clients. Clients that are, you know, technology-averse don't make good clients, right? So let's stick with the folks that understand the value of investing in technology or have such a need and dependence on technology that they understand they have to invest in technology. I would say shape your marketing message to reflect that you understand your client's market and their pressures in their market, right? You understand who their competition is. And this can only be achieved if you are vertically focused, right, and understand that you're delivering services to a specific vertical or, uh, or industry. So you know pretty much from delivering services to other um, clients in that vertical who the competition is. Understand um, what their internal processes are and workflows and illustrate how you can align solutions to help them meet their goals, even across internal business units, right? Understand each business unit's goal and then create synergy across business units by delivering solutions that can benefit the entire organization. And then finally, understand what your client's ultimate business goal is. Like the client I talked about earlier said, I want to be the highest priced CPA in Orange County. How can we do that? Well, how do we help him achieve that or work towards that goal? We got him on a very strict infrastructure upgrade program. Every two years, everything new in the environment, we implemented uh, SharePoint solution, we implemented document management imaging system, we implemented secure capabilities on the web for their clients to download their tax returns, right? These are all things that came about as we were able to discuss what that client's ultimate goals were because they were very strategic in their technology investing. I mean, I'd you know, walk in with uh, a new smartphone and boy, they wanted to know how can that help me improve my accessibility to my customers and my customer service to my customers, right? That's right. And that, you know, we that's the thing. I have that conversation every day with new prospects and clients of mine. Is we need you guys to guide us in the direction that we should be looking at for technology and how how it's going to help us do our uh, perform our jobs better and win in our marketplace. Eric, I want to thank you for uh, coming on and spending the last hour with us. It's been as always. It's always a pleasure to. Uh, you know, invest some of my time in, with you guys, you know, and especially yourself. 
and uh, the whole community to uh, you know help out. And you know, I learn something every time I, I chat with you. Well, thanks, you know, it's, it's always a pleasure coming on. If anybody wants to reach out to you, Eric, what's the best way for them to contact you? They can send me some email at uh, e simpson e s i m p s o n at mspu.us, and I would encourage everyone to visit our website at uh, www.mspu.us and get a free basic membership, and you can download dozens of training webinars that we have up there on on transformation strategies uh, and, and maximization strategies on different business models, as well as forms, tools, and collateral uh, that you might find useful. And just educate yourself. Great. Thanks again, Eric. And uh, it's always a pleasure. And just to let you know, if you haven't got your copy of my latest uh, ebook that's free uh, for all members of the community, if you just go to my blog site, stuartcrawford.com, it's S-T-U-A-R-T-C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D.com, and you'll see a tab at the top that says Connect the Dots. You can uh, get a free copy of uh, my, my ebook called Connect the Dots, which kind of touches base some of the stuff that Eric talked about, what we should be looking at the next 12 to 18 months out uh, for success in the IT space. So you can get that off my blog site. Uh, make sure you go to iTunes or set an RSS feed off of Small Business IT Radio. We do this show normally every Friday at noon Eastern time. And tomorrow we got a, a great show lined up with uh, a, a lovely bunch of uh, ladies talking about uh, women in leadership and technology and the positive impacts that uh, women are having in the technology field and uh, what your organization can probably do to attract uh, women into your business and you know some of the great things that they can do to help us uh, grow our business. So Eric, again, once again, thank you very much for your time and we'll uh, look forward to having you all on tomorrow if you're, uh, for our, uh, our regular scheduled show. So this is Stuart Crawford in uh, Calgary, Alberta. Now we're going to sign off for our special broadcast of uh, Small Business IT Radio today, and we'll look forward to talking to everybody tomorrow. Thank you very much, and have an awesome day.